Well, good morning. It is a nice, rainy, cool day. I'm enjoying it so much. Kaylee and I both had our little brown boots on today, and it was just so nice. Well, last week, um, last week, if you were here, we heard from Janine on Nehemiah chapter one. We started diving into this book of Nehemiah now. And she asked us what we long for, what we would pray for, for four days, four months, or even four years. She told us how action steps don't come until prayer. And she shared how God took Nehemiah's longing and his circle of influence, and he weaved them together. So today in Nehemiah chapter 2, we see the result of that prayer. Nehemiah prayed fervently and God moved him to action. He rested his confidence in the Lord. And as I studied this passage, listened to sermons and read commentaries, it all pointed to six main characteristics that I saw of Nehemiah in this passage. And they all happened to start with the letter P. (laughs) So today we will see that Nehemiah was a man of patience, passion, prayer, purpose, perspective, and perseverance. I think seeing his example will hopefully inspire us in whatever we might be facing. His example should show us how we too can have confidence in the God we serve. So let's begin with prayer. Father God, I thank you so much for this chance to study your word together again. Lord, I thank you for the example of Nehemiah and his passion and perseverance and his prayer. Lord, may we too come to you in confidence and boldness in our prayers. Lord, we do welcome you here this morning. We long to be overcome by your presence. Would you be in our midst? Would you speak to our hearts? We long to hear from you. In your name I pray, amen. All right, so let's just dive in. First of all, Nehemiah was a man of patience. Our chapter starts with this. In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, This indicates that it's been four months since the fervent prayer of chapter one. And the end of chapter one in verse 11, it ended with, give your servant success today. Today was his preferred day, but it was not the right day. Over a hundred days came and went as Nehemiah waited for the best moment. And we don't know why it took this long, but we do know that his waiting time was not wasted time. He spent that time in prayer, patiently waiting for the right opportunity and preparing his case for the king. And while he waited, he was able to prepare a very thorough case for the king. While he waited, maybe God prepared the heart of the king as well. How many times have you prayed for something and it's taken longer than you hoped? Countless times, right? 
God's timing is not our timing. And that can be hard, can be frustrating. And it's easy to feel like our prayers are going unanswered, like they're falling on deaf ears. But as we see here, that was not the case for Nehemiah. His request was heard and it was answered. It just was in God's timing, not in Nehemiah's timing. And God's timing is always better. So Nehemiah was a man of patience, but he was also a man of passion. The passage goes on to say this. When wine was brought for him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. I had not been sad in his presence before, so the king answered me, Why does your face look so sad when you're not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Nehemiah had grieved, as we saw in chapter 1, and it was no longer possible for him to hide his grief. Well, when I was growing up, my favorite song was Big Girls Don't Cry by Frankie Valli in the Four Seasons. I don't know why, but I loved that song. The funny thing is, this is totally an aside, but it was much older when I learned that that was actually a man singing that song for a long time. I thought that was a woman. And when somebody told me it was a man, I was like, no, you're thinking of a different song. If you know the song, you know why. It's a very high-pitched voice that sings, big girls don't cry. They don't cry, yeah, yeah. Big girls don't cry. Who said they don't cry? My girl said goodbye. My, oh my, my girl didn't cry. I wonder why. The song goes on to say this. Shame on you, your mama said. Shame on you, silly girl, you cried in bed. Silly girl, shame on you, you told a lie. Big girls do cry. The conclusion at the end of this song is that big girls actually do cry. And I thought of this because the title of one of the sermons I listened to on this passage was Real Men Do Cry. Nehemiah weeps. He's a man of passion who weeps for Jerusalem. He weeps for God's name being dishonored. This sadness ran deeper than just for a people or for a city. He wept because it was God who was being dishonored. So that makes me ask the question, do I grieve for God's honor? Or do we too often put a distance between God's dishonor and our affiliation to his name? Gordon McConville says this, it's the trauma of one who has made God's cause his own and who sees it scorned. There is a spirit today that passes for broad-mindedness and tolerance, but it is really indifference to the hastening of God's kingdom in this world. Convicting, isn't it? Are we blind to the way that God's honor is often being stained, or do we truly weep for it? And if we do weep for it, are our passions stirred enough to put us to work into building God's people? Because as we will see, Nehemiah is not just a man of passion. 
He's a man of purpose. He got to work. But before we get to that, we have to also see that Nehemiah was a man of prayer. He's not just impassioned and then steps out with his own purposes. He pauses in prayer to make sure his purposes are aligned with God's. So this is what it says in our verses. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. If it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. We cannot miss in chapter one that Nehemiah was a man of prayer. We saw that last week. His prayer in chapter one is eloquent and it's a great model for our prayer life. He bases his prayer in who he knows God to be and in God's promises. I have to say, though, his prayer here in this chapter is one that is so encouraging to me. It has to just be a moment of prayer. I can't imagine that he paused for 10 or 15 minutes, got down on his knees, and had the king standing there waiting for his response while he said some eloquent prayer to the Lord. That would just be plain awkward. Instead, it was probably just a breath prayer. It might have just been a simple, Lord, help. And yet, we see its effectiveness. He is able to put his fear aside and answer the king in boldness and in confidence. Nehemiah's admission of fear here literally reads, a terrible fear came over me. He seems to be suddenly gripped by this panic. And this is out of character for him. As we see in the rest of the book, he, it presents a man who is, seems totally undaunted in the face of increasing adversity. And we even see that here in the end of our chapter. But here, he's terribly afraid. One commentary I read said this, specific resources are given to meet immediate needs. We are not promised a reservoir of blessing given in advance of all of life's difficulties. Sufficient grace matches present need. Give us this day our daily bread, we pray. Nehemiah perhaps prays right now, Lord, give me the courage right now. And the Lord answers. Instead of being given resources in advance that we can store away for when we need them, oftentimes we're given them right as we need them. Because God wants to be in relationship with us. He wants us to rely on him one step at a time. And that's what Nehemiah does here. Nehemiah has been praying for four months for this moment. And yet he pauses here to pray again. He truly relies on God. This prayer should show us that we can talk to God at any moment, at any time. One commentary I read said, there and then, 
In the presence of a human king, Nehemiah is at the footstool of heaven. We can do the same. This makes me think of a couple weeks ago, we heard a sermon by David Wu on prayer. He talked about Brother Lawrence's book, Practicing the Presence of God. And it talked about how we can be in the presence of God while we do anything. For Brother Lawrence, it was simply washing dishes. For us, it can be at any point, at any time of our day. We can be in the presence of God. We can be at the footstool of heaven. This is so encouraging to me. Right now, life is really busy. I mean, life is always busy, but specifically right now with the one and a half year old running around all the time, I too am always running around. But I can be in the presence of God at any point of my day while I wash dishes, fold laundry, change diapers, pick up toys, cuddle on the couch. I can pause, recognize the Lord's presence and lift up a simple prayer to him. It can be as natural as just breathing. Pastor Kate taught us at the women's brunch how to do a breath prayer. You simply pick two lines and breathe through them. Inhale and exhale. So here are some examples. Why don't you pray them with me? Inhale, I will not be afraid Exhale, for you are with me. Inhale, nothing can separate me. Exhale, from the love of God. Inhale, my true vine. Exhale, I abide in you. This short prayer that Nehemiah offers up, whatever it was, gives him an opportunity to recenter himself, to refocus on God, on his purpose. And it's truly effective. His petition is immediately answered as it says, the gracious hand of the Lord is upon him. So this man is a man of patience, passion, prayer. He's also a man of purpose. The passage goes on to say this. Then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, so I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and the residence I will occupy. One commentary pointed out that if we only read Nehemiah 1, we might be tempted to classify Nehemiah among the visionaries whose minds are fixed on the things above, not on the practicalities of daily living. But this second chapter shows a different side to Nehemiah. Here, he plays out a careful strategy in preparation for the rebuilding of the wall in Jerusalem. Charles Spurgeon says this, Christians should work as if it all depended upon us, but pray as if it all depended upon God. Christians should work as if it all depended upon us, but pray as if it all depended upon God. 
We often fall to one side or the other, don't we? We either work as if it all depends on us and fail to pray and rely on the Lord at all, or we pray and we don't step out in action at all. But Nehemiah here did both. He prayed faithfully, but his prayer moved him to action. He then was faithful to present this plan before the king and to follow through with it. You see, the amazing thing about God is he truly could do it all on his own, but he chooses to use us. What a fantastic thing. We're called into the purposes of God in this world. He calls us into his story, and he loves us so much that he gives us a purpose and a calling. In a sermon by Hugh Palmer, he said, spontaneous prayer and careful planning can both be a mark of the servant of the Lord. That's what we see here with Nehemiah. He doesn't neglect prayer, but he also steps out in faith. And because he had been patient and given so much time to careful thinking and planning, he knew exactly how to describe the city's need and to ask for the necessary resources to complete his task. So moving right along, Nehemiah is a man of patience, passion, prayer, purpose, and also perspective. Right after this passage we just read, it says, And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. He then goes on to survey the walls. There's a part of that in our passage. And once he's done this, he says, you see the trouble we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem and we will no longer be in disgrace. I also told them about the gracious hand of God upon me and what the king had said to me. They replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began the good work. Nehemiah could have easily taken credit for his success. He could have said, I was brave and I spoke to the king. He provided me with what I needed because I was so convincing and persuasive. Instead, he had a perspective that truly saw that the only reason he had any success was because of the gracious hand of the Lord upon him. Remember this phrase from Ezra? Here it is again. Nehemiah sees that all of this is due to God's arranging. He arranged everything. It is not due to anything else. And in this passage, Nehemiah truly identifies with the workers. He says, you see that we are in disgrace. We, he identifies with them. As I mentioned before, Nehemiah is concerned here with the name of God being disgraced. Jerusalem being in ruins would have been a matter for scorn and abuse among the pagan neighbors. The sight of those walls could create the impression that Israel's God had abandoned his rebellious people and he is no longer on their side. Nehemiah's perspective sees that God's name is at stake here. And it also says that he told them about the gracious hand of God on him and what the king said to him. 
He shares his personal testimony here. He shares how God showed up and was gracious toward him. You see, sharing your testimony and the times that God has shown up for you can be an encouragement to others. It lights a fire under them here. They are committed then to the project. Maybe this is a reminder to us as well of the importance of sharing our testimony, of sharing the times where the gracious hand of God has been on our lives so that it'll light a fire under others. It'll strengthen and encourage them. Okay, are you still with me? I'm at the last point for today. Nehemiah is a man of patience, passion, prayer, purpose, perspective, and finally, perseverance. This is how our passage closes. But when Sanballat the Horonite, Tobiah the Ammonite official, and Geshem the Arab heard about it, they mocked and ridiculed us. What is this you are doing, they asked. Are you rebelling against the king? I answered them by saying, the God of heaven will give us success. We, his servants, will start rebuilding. But as for you, you have no share in Jerusalem or any claim or historic right to it. Our passage ends with them already facing opposition. But Nehemiah responds to them with such wisdom. He knew that what mattered most was the glory of God. He does not stoop to answer their lies. Instead, he exalts God, saying that God is the one who's going to give them success. He wanted God to be magnified in this project. That was his aim and his focus. And isn't that such a great example for us as to how to deal with opposition and negativity instead of stooping to it? Let's focus on what really matters. Magnify the Lord. Exalt him. That's all that matters. Jesus faced opposition throughout his ministry, and so we know that we will too. But what matters is that God is glorified and we face it with integrity. There's so much to learn from this passage from this man, Nehemiah. He's a great example for us to follow. He's a man of patience. May we also be patient when God's timing is not our own and still trust that God hears our prayers, that he will answer and his timing is better than ours. He was a man of prayer. He was a man of passion. I want to forget that. May we also be passionate for the honor of God. May we be moved to tears when we see his name being dishonored. May it truly affect us to our very core. He was a man of prayer. What better way to start our day than with prayer? It far surpasses any other way we could start our day, whether with the news, social media, or just running about our day already. Instead, let's be people of prayer. And sometimes when our prayer is merely a breath in and a breath out, let us still stand in confidence in its effectiveness. He was a man of purpose. His prayer moved him to action, and he carefully planned. 
what he was passionate for and what he felt that God moved him towards action, even when he was afraid. May we also be moved to action. He was a man of perspective. When his prayer was answered, he didn't forget that it came from God and he didn't take credit for himself. Instead, he saw that it was truly a gift of the gracious hand of God. And finally, he was a man of perseverance. When facing opposition, he focused on what mattered most, the glory of the Lord. And he kept going because he knew that God would be faithful to what he had asked him to do. He had equipped him. And the mocking sounds of others around him would not deter him. He was going to magnify the Lord. Maybe one of these characteristics sticks out to you today as one that you might want to work on. Maybe you want to be more patient or gain a better perspective, or perhaps there's something that you need to persevere through. For me, the one that stuck out was Nehemiah's short little prayer. He was a man of prayer, and he was at the footstool of heaven in the presence of this human king. And so can we be at the footstool of heaven, no matter where we are in our day. That little prayer is what helped him overcome his fear. It helped him step out in faith. It aligned him with the purposes of the Lord. It gave him perspective. It helped him later when he needed to persevere. His prayer life is what affected it all. His prayer is why he would later say that the gracious hand of the Lord accomplished this. It wasn't Nehemiah himself. Today, we can admire him and hope to emulate some of those characteristics in our own lives, but I think that he would want us to focus again on the gracious hand of God. It was all God's doing. God gave him patience to wait. He gave him passion for the Lord's name. He met him in prayer. He gave him a purpose, showed him the right perspective, and helped him to persevere. And so in whatever place you need confidence in the Lord, look to heaven. So that's why I chose the song today by Kari Jobe, No Fear. She sings this, right now, anything can happen. Right here, everything can change. It is time. Cast your cares upon him right here, right now. No fear. Let's listen to this song. Let's pray. Father God, thank you that we can come into your presence wherever we are in our day. Thank you that you give us perspective and we can see that you are in control no matter what we face. God, if there are things that we've prayed for and longed for for a really long time, Lord, we we rest in your promise that you do hear us. You hear our prayers and you want what is best for us and we trust in you. God, would you embolden us to pray in faith and boldness and to have confidence in you in whatever we face. 
Go with us as we go to our groups, Lord. Would you be in our discussions? May they be glorifying to you. In your name I pray. Amen.